Good afternoon. Thank you very much, Mira. It's an honor for, to speak uh, in front of this distinguished audience uh, today. Uh, I'm a journalist uh, from Ukraine. I am covering the region for over 20 years, but everything that I will say uh, today are my private uh, personal views and my personal observations. My country, Ukraine, uh, remains among top targets of Russian disinformation. And what are the tools and how the country and the media are trying to respond? Uh, but first of all, when did it all start? I would like to argue today that uh, disinformation efforts have started long before the annexation of Crimea by Russia in 2014 and long before the Russian military incursion into Donbass, the eastern part of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin, the long-serving Russian leader, does not hide his views. And I would like to remind some quotes of Vladimir Putin. Probably you've noticed somewhere his first quote that the breakup of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century. He said this in 2005. If we listen to messages of the Russian disinformation, we often hear that uh, Ukraine is a failed state, that Ukraine should not have existed at all. But when speaking to the domestic audience, but also to the Ukrainian audience, Vladimir Putin is saying something different. He is saying that Russians and Ukrainians are one nation. He said we have people with radical views on both sides, but in general it is one nation with one history and one culture. And there is one more quote of Vladimir Putin. He said this at the very end of last year, and I think that his words were largely unnoticed by Western media and unnoticed by the Ukrainian government, but worried the Ukrainian uh, foreign policy experts. Putin said that during the creation of the Soviet Union, the original Russian territories, which had nothing to do with Ukraine at all, all the Black Sea coast, the Western Russian lands, were transferred to Ukraine, and now we try to sort this out. And this has nothing to do with Crimea. We are talking about other parts of Ukraine. Any Ukrainian historian can refute these statements. Any Ukrainian student can recall the 1876 Amsky decree of Tsarist Russia, which banned the print of Ukrainian books and teaching of the Ukrainian language. If the Soviet Union was so great, why at least 4 million of Ukrainians have been starved to death in the territory which was called the breadbasket of the Soviet Union? Why it was forbidden to speak about this? and why the Ukrainian political prisoners in Gulag have led the first massive revolt after the death of Stalin. Why, when I was a child in the Soviet Union, teachers of Russian language in Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine, 
earned more money than teachers of the Ukrainian language. In the meantime, the one nation myth is used to justify and cover the aggression. The iconic example of Russian propaganda is a story about the crucified boy. This is a picture from the Russian state TV uh, in July of 2014. A woman tells about a public crucifixion of a three-year-old boy by the Ukrainian army at the Lenin Square in Slovyansk. There is no such square in this eastern Ukrainian city. There is no audio or video of this incident, but the story went viral. Russia has repeatedly denied that it has military presence in eastern Ukraine. And as journalists, we show what is happening on the ground. And what does the Kremlin say? Russian diplomat Ilya Rogachev at the International Court of Justice said that separatists had discovered the weaponry at the old Soviet mines. Imagine heavy weaponry hidden in the old Soviet mines at the uh, middle of Ukraine and far away from Western borders of the Soviet Union. But already at the end of last year, Vladimir Putin said something different. He said that separatists in Eastern Ukraine get weapons from countries that are sympathetic to them which is very close to admitting the Russian role. Russia also initially denied that it sent military to annex Crimea. We have learned about polite green men, but already in April 2014, Putin admitted that these were Russian military. Was it a unanimous decision to return under Moscow umbrella? We, as journalists, were showing live what was happening on the ground, including many protests. You see on the picture Ukrainian women who were protesting the annexation by Russia. Also, there were a lot of protests by Crimean Tatars. And you would not see this on Russian state TV. Last year, Ukraine has elected a comic as the president. Volodymyr Zelensky won landslide election. He got 73% of the vote, defeating President Petro Poroshenko. And we saw on Russian state TV that Poroshenko is an ugly nationalist. We learned, for instance, that Poroshenko killed his own brother. And media also poked fun of Volodymyr Zelensky, the comic. An election with many candidates and no obvious outcome, as in Ukraine, was portrayed as a circus. Here in Oxford, I try to research the role of Russia and whether it has any influence on the election and campaign, specifically on social media. And I spoke with experts of Western NGO, Transatlantic Commission on Election Integrity, and they calculated that one-fourth 
of all election-related content in Ukraine in 2019 has been generated by bots originated in Russia. Experts are planning to publish their research. It's not yet printed. And they say that a pro-Russian cluster grew over time. Some accounts were dormant for years, including 2011. And they also found out that pro-Russian narrative on Ukrainian social media space was heavily based in Russia. And they established this by either looking at IPs or geolocation. The Ukrainian pro-Russian chunk was only 5 to 10 percent. They analyzed Twitter and how the messages spread from Twitter to other social media. And also their conclusion is that Russian bot activity was greater in Ukraine than in other countries. They looked at Macedonian referendum election in Mexico, Italy. They also looked at gender pro-Russian part of the conversation was targeting men more than women. Russian media attacked Poroshenko a lot, but it also did not support Volodymyr Zelensky. Despite his Jewish roots, the Kremlin narrative did not change that Ukraine is a neo-Nazi state. It is also interesting that Russia, this time in Ukraine, did not try to boost either of the candidates. The effort was to create and amplify divisions. And I think that this quote of Russian journalist, the editor of Echo Moskvy, Alexei Venediktov, is quite to the point. He said that Mr. Chaos is our candidate. The more chaos, the weaker candidate, the more Putin believes that is beneficial for Russia. And what has been the response of Ukraine? We have to go back to 2017 when the Ukrainian government, the government of Petro Poroshenko, has decided to ban Russian social networks in the country. The same happened with Russian TV channels. The ban on social media does not punish citizens, but providers. And this move has been criticized by Western NGOs, including Reporters Without Borders. Uh, the Russian foreign ministry called it politically motivated censorship. Uh, viewing Ukraine was different. I would say that there were diverse views, but uh, important position is one of the prominent Ukrainian journalists. Uh, he is the co-founder of Stop Fake Initiative. And he also the dean of Kiev Mohila School of Journalism. And he said that it was a good move because Russian social networks in Ukraine have become, in his words, instruments of war. And what was the effect? The Russian social media network of Kontakte has lost its dominance in Ukraine, but not fully its influence. Now it's the third largest social network in Ukraine after Facebook and after Instagram. With around 7 million users, this network, I would say, had a rather marginal role in the 2019 campaign. 
Regarding the influence of Russian media, last year only 13% of Ukrainians say that they have received information from Russian media. This is the result of the poll. The vast majority of Ukrainians also distrust Russian news outlets. 82% do not trust, 7% do trust. But Russian narratives are there. And there are several instruments of the Kremlin influence in Ukraine. One example is the Ukrainian TV channels. For most media arms of Viktor Medvedchuk, you can see him on picture next to Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is the godfather of daughter of Viktor Medvedchuk. Medvedchuk often travels to Kremlin, including before election in Ukraine. And we conducted an investigation how wife of Medvedchuk, TV host of Oksana Marchenko, has received a license to develop oil and gas fields in Russia, the third largest in the country. Medvedchuk needs a wife for this because he himself is under Western sanctions. The party of Viktor Medvedchuk has received the second place at the parliamentary elections in Ukraine last year with 13% of the vote, far behind Zelensky party, which received 43%. But this man uh, is connected to three uh, TV channels. And on these channels, you can see often also pro-Kremlin opinion leaders who uh, come and promote their agenda, including of one of the Ukrainian prominent bloggers, probably the most popular blogger in the country. His name is Anatoly Shari, and he received around 3% at the parliamentary election. He doesn't live in Ukraine. He campaigned from abroad, but he is definitely a force in the country with millions of views on YouTube. Regarding social media, I mentioned Kontakte, the Russian social network, but also uh, in Ukraine recently, uh, the Russian messenger Telegram is gaining ground. This, the Telegram messenger was important and probably still is important in Russia. Uh, in Ukraine, it gained prominence only last year, and increasingly Telegram became the one of the major sources of political manipulation in the country. Uh, there is a great uh, investigation by my colleagues, journalists from Liga.net, and they published also, it is, this uh, paper is also available in uh, English. They uh, analyzed how Russian messages were spread by a telegram uh, uh, in the country, uh, also spreading a lot of political rumors about the new Ukrainian government. As they say, the telegram itself is not scary. It becomes really dangerous when it is cited by the traditional media. And this is how leaked information and fake news are legitimized now in Ukraine. In January of this year, the Ukrainian government has decided to uh, counter the Russian disinformation even more, as they say and put forward a highly controversial law on disinformation. 
Critics say that it is more like an effort to police journalists. And for instance, the government wants to divide journalists into journalists and professional journalists. And only professional journalists were to get accreditation to official events. They would be allowed to go, only them can go to conflict zone and they can be protected. But there is a lot of criticism from the civil society, also from international uh, media groups, and we don't know whether the government would, would stick to this highly controversial bill. Some lessons that we can get from Ukraine is if we analyze the events in the country from 2014, the annexation of Crimea, that civic society generally responds more quickly to things which are happening on the ground. Ukraine has a number of journalistic initiatives that counter disinformation, including Stop Fake, but not only. There are others, the Ukrainian Crisis Media Center, Text.org. I would have to really, there are about a dozen of different initiatives to uh, counter and disclose disinformation. Of course, you would ask me whether they're effective and people are watching mostly TV channels. The uh, effect of any fact-checking initiatives is, of course, limited. But in my personal view, they're still important, as well as media literacy programs, which run in schools. Thinking about the topic of our today's discussion, I came across a recent study by the RAND, it's a very analytic academic paper, but it has interesting conclusion, which in a way sums up what has been going on. And it says that Russia might be luckier in information warfare than it is good. Russia tried to exploit any weaknesses of the Ukrainian state, of the Ukrainian society. But if you look at the one of the biggest concerns of the Russian government, uh, that Ukraine should never join NATO. If you would look at the public opinion polls in the country, Ukrainians, whatever we hear about NATO in this country or in Brussels, Ukrainians want to be in NATO. 53% of Ukrainians, according to recent polls, want to join this alliance. And definitely, if we speak about disinformation, it's not only media, it's not also, it, it's not also social media, we can speak about Russian culture and how different uh, narratives were embedded into Russian cinema, sitcoms, etc. So it's definitely a very complex topic. And you would ask me, what is next? I think that important subject that we would have to follow in the coming months is the history of World War II. In January, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, said that he will shut the filthy mouths of those who falsify history and fail to give the Soviet Union its due respect. A big celebration in Moscow is planned for May, and what, let's watch how it will unfold. And here on this picture, I've chosen a calendar which was shared yesterday by the Russian opposition member, 
Navalny shared this calendar related to World War II, showing children uh, in Russia dressed in military uniforms, and he was basically criticizing uh, the fact that this calendar is now seen in Russian kindergartens. Probably a private person printed this patriotic, as they say, uh, calendar, but the Navalny did not criticize the calendar itself and the militarization of children, but he said that I would have understand if this calendar was spread to children who are 10 or 12, but why to put this calendar in kindergarten? So maybe, even though today I quoted heavily Vladimir Putin, it's not at all about Putin himself. It's a question about Russian identity, Russian history, and how Russia views itself in the world. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mariana. And now, Gulmira Amalganeyeva. If I get your name right, um, yes. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm Gulmira Amalganeyeva. I'm a, a journalist from Saratov region. I work for more than seven years for the independent media, which is called Svobodne Novosti, Free News Volga. So after this brilliant speech of my colleague Mariana, probably it is expected that I have to say something in defense of Russia, <laughs> but, but I won't do that. And I would like to tell you how propaganda affects people in Russia. But first of all, I would like to ask one question. Uh, uh, I'm interested how, my, uh, how many of you in this audience uh, have watched TV news for the last three days. Please raise the hands. Quite many. <laughs> yes, uh, but probably less than half. Uh, can you imagine that in Russia, 72% of the whole population watch TV news? Yes, so uh, TV news is um, the most important source of information. And then we can see that social media and online media are twice less popular. Uh, yes, and uh, te uh, television is hugely popular in Russia, though for the last six years the popularity of television is going down, whereas the popularity of social media and online media are slightly uh, raising up. Uh, and if we can see on the uh, uh, age proportion, uh, we can see that people uh, are uh, uh, older than 35 years old prefer to, uh, to watch TV news, whereas the young audience, of course, uh, get more, most news from uh, social media and online media. Uh, if we say about the trust, uh, of course, the trust is lower than the popularity. So out of 72% of people who watch TV, only uh, more than half uh, trust to this news. But anyway, uh, the audience uh, older than uh, 35 quite, yes, uh, rely on the TV news. Uh, I also would like to tell about the most popular uh, sources of information. Uh, here in this uh, graph, I uh, highlighted uh, 
the media which are providing alternative point of view, alternative to the government point of view. And uh, in Levada uh, Center statistics, it is also mentioned as independent uh, yes, uh, media sources. And you can see that in Russia, there is only one independent TV channel, uh, which is called Dost TV Rain. And unfortunately, from 2012, uh, it is not broadcasted. Uh, so you can have the access to this channel only online if you subscribe and if you pay for that. So, and the popularity of this TV channel is less than 1%. Yes. So, but other TV channels are government uh, controlled or affiliated. So, and the propaganda is spread on these TV channels. Uh, if you say about the newspapers, uh, in Russia, we can see that the most popular newspapers, tabloids, are also related to the government. Uh, we have several independent uh, financial newspapers like Commerçant, uh, RBK Daily, and Vedemosti, but uh, it is uh, mostly for businessmen, politicians, yes, and people outside of Moscow usually don't read it. So we have one newspaper, Nova Gazeta, and overall the popularity of this independent newspaper is less than 10%. Uh, the situation in online media are slightly better. Uh, we can have several uh, independent online media, uh, but anyway, the most important source of information, uh, the most popular are news aggregators like Yandex Novosti or Novosti Mail, uh, which are also, you know, they are not independent and they provide government point of view. So according to Levada Center, overall, uh, around 35% of population uh, have access to the independent source of information but only 6% of them uh, have access to more than two sources of information. And, and it is, uh, uh, it is uh, uh, people know about that if you get uh, access to more than two sources of information, it means that you can form your opinion better. So why propaganda is so strong in Russia? Uh, from my point of view, there are several reasons for that. First of all, uh, print uh, media market in Russia is actually weak. Uh, so it's not profitable. And now, as I told you, there are just several. Uh, we have tabloids, uh, which are controlled by the government. And we have uh, independent financial newspaper, which don't have a huge audience. And then also one of the reasons is that uh, online media are not available uh, for the people living in the remote area. Uh, and in Russia, 25% of the population are living in the villages and they technically don't have access to the internet. Like for example, my parents living in the village. So they have access only to they have satellite and uh, get uh, 
and television channels. That's all. No newspapers, no internet. And also, of course, if uh, it is older generation, they prefer to watch TV. Uh, and then also one of the reasons is that uh, TV channels, which are, as I told you, controlled by the government, get huge funding from the government. It's normal practice in Russia. Like, for example, for the next three years, uh, almost one, uh, two million of million pounds uh, will be allocated to just four main TV channels. It's a huge amount of money in Russia. And, for example, uh, during the election, presidential election campaign uh, in, in 2016, uh, just for three months, the uh, TV channels got one and a half million of pounds. Uh, yes, and uh, so propaganda on TV is so huge. And uh, you can see, uh, when you see uh, the news on TV, uh, it looks crazy, in my opinion, yes. <laughs> Uh, because uh, instead of uh, just providing the information about what is happening on, uh, in the world, uh, we, can, uh, we can see huge, yes, uh, it's very opinionated. Uh, and then also we can uh, see that uh, the rise of political talk show, uh, it happened after the annexation of Crimea. So uh, if before... Uh, you know, during the day, day time, uh, housewives and uh, retired people used to watch some entertainment programs about cooking or fashion or health. Uh, but now they are forced to watch political TV shows. Uh, yes, this argument of fighting very, yes, very aggressive sometimes. And main topic of this political uh, talk shows are usually uh, Ukraine. Yes, uh, so uh, uh, guests are blaming Ukraine and sometimes uh, the US and uh, other countries, the UK, the uh, European Union. Uh, yes, and uh, you can see, uh, for example, in, in 2018, uh, it took a quarter or even one third of the whole timing on the TV. Yes, unproportional, <laughs> too much attention to political TV shows. And uh, for example, the most popular TV channel, Первый канал, now is losing their popularity and even they got so much funding from the government, uh, they now in debt because it's not popular. <laughs> People are got tired to watch these political TV shows. Uh, then, on the internet, it's much more co complicated to control this sphere. But the government uh, using, is using different strategies. One of them is, of course, massive trolling. Uh, like, for example, in 2016, uh, there was uh, a reporting of uh, Russian independent media and foreign media like BuzzFeed about uh, the existence of a building in St. Petersburg, which is called uh, Troll Factory, because there are so many employees uh, 
who are uh, spreading misinformation and yes, uh, so they have two departments, domestic department and foreign department and they, uh, yes, they are trolls. Uh, so, but uh, now after the scandal, it was uh, changed and now it's called factory by journalist. Factory media, it's a group of media uh, which are uh, spreading uh, positive uh, politi political agenda that everything is okay in Russia, yes, but they also uh, attack opinions, political opinions. So, uh, what, what is happening with social media and messengers? Uh, I would like to tell, firstly, I would like to tell about Vkontakte. Vkontakte is, as Mariana told, is uh, very, the most popular social media uh, in Russia, and uh, it's, more, it's popular among young audience, but uh, and, uh, Vkontakte is famous for providing the information about users uh, uh, to security service in Russia. And the, the, so many people, users were persecuted because they made some uh, post, posts and they were accused in extremism and other things. But about Telegram, so uh, uh, people decided that contact is not a safe place for people. But about Telegram, uh, for a long time, uh, liberal uh, audience in Russia used to believe that it's uh, the most independent messenger, messenger in Russia. So because uh, Telegram owner uh, refused to, pro to give any information about uh, users uh, to um, security service. Uh, yes, but... Uh, now you can see that, uh, so, and uh, Telegram has um, a positive image. Yes, it is very secure, but uh, the government decided to, to use this mood and they uh, decided to uh, bribe. Uh, so Telegram, it is a place where uh, there are popular political uh, Telegram channels uh, with gossips about what is happening. So they decided to bribe these TV channels, the most popular on them, and spread uh, the information which they would like to see. Uh, the same happened with uh, in, uh, the most popular bloggers, Instagram bloggers, like for example, there is a portrait of Russian um, singer, uh, Faith. So he's, he told to independent media that they will attempt to bribe him by security service, yes, uh, in order that he can influence a young audience. Um, and Adnaklasniki, it is a social media popular among older generation, and there's usually a place where uh, a lot of uh, misinformation is spread. But the most important thing for me, uh, the most scared, I can say, is, is deter deteriorating a legal environment. Because, for example, I, I uh, made a list of the last uh, changes in the legislation. For example, for the last year, there were three uh, 
legal act were introduced, which actually uh, limit uh, freedom of expression in Russia. Like, for example, the act about individuals foreign agents. It means that any citizen of Russia, if they repost any information on the internet, uh, and on the same time, this person gets funding from abroad, like, for example, from uh, their uncle from the, uh, the UK, uh, he can be blamed blame, uh, as a foreign agent, and he or she can be fined for that, for the huge amount of money. Uh, the same was made before about media foreign agents. Uh, and of course, for the media foreign agents, uh, the fines are much bigger. And media foreign agents have to uh, mark all their, all their materials saying we are foreign agents. And in Russia, this word has very negative connotation, foreign agents. Then uh, the law about for, uh, sovereign internet, it means that... Uh, so Russian internet should be a little bit independent, a little bit like in China. So, but uh, it's not possible to do, uh, not fully possible. But for example, um, uh, any internet provider should establish uh, government equipment, and they, it means that uh, uh, the data can be collected. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then interesting uh, legal act about the disrespect of the authorities and fake news. Uh, if journalists show um, any disrespect to the authorities as well as citizens uh, posting something on the internet, yes, they can be fined and persecuted for that. Uh, yes, and about fake news, uh, for example, the most, uh, some media were fined for fake news just because they wrote about uh, some uh, events happening in Russia and they uh, were saying that uh, authorities were not responsible enough, something like that, but they were blamed for spreading fake news. Yes, and you can see other uh, illegal acts. So what I would like to say in the end is that um, as I told you, three uh, quarters of Ro Russian audience uh, receive news from government-affiliated media, and so their pop uh, the popularity of television is going down still because they get uh, huge funding. They yes, they can influence the audience. Uh, and then on the internet, there are several strategies, like for example, trolling and uh, feeling. Uh, out the internet with positive agenda uh, and bribing TV, uh, telegram channels and bloggers. Uh, and of course, uh, journalists, independent journalists and uh, citizens are uh, subject to many restrictions and they can be fined and persecuted. Yes, thank you for listening. <laughs>